This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of Benall of America Audio. It is February 18th, 2006. This week, part two of two, Steve Bassett. We offered up a marathon session last week, one hour, 44 minutes. That was part one. If you haven't heard that yet, go back, check it out. Jump back here where we are. You'll be all caught up. This is a massive interview. In this concluding edition... We talk about the ABC UFO special, the 06 and 08 elections with regards to disclosure, uh, what a post-disclosure world would look like. We go on a worldwide tour to find which countries may have key developments in disclosure for the future, including South America, Japan, Europe, Australia. We have a long discussion on China and disclosure and why it's all or nothing when it comes to China. And then we go through all the various roadblocks you've heard to disclosure, just all the reasons why it won't happen, all the reasons why it can't happen. We throw them all at Steve, and he just he just takes a whack at each one of them, and his response pretty much gives you an idea of what is in the mindset of those at the forefront of the disclosure process. For those of you unfamiliar with Steve Bassett, here's a brief bio. We give a little more in part one. you got to check it out, I'm telling you. Steve is a political activist, founder of Paradigm Research Group, executive director of the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, XPPAC, author of the Paradigm Clock website, and a political columnist, commentator, and former independent candidate for Congress. He is also the executive producer of the X Conference. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll, folks. Recorded on January 16th, 2006, Steve Bassett, Part 2 of 2, on Banal of America Audio. All right, now, the last uh, big event I thought uh, that sort of came to my mind for the year in exopolitics would be here in America would be the infamous now uh, ABC UFO special, which was probably the most high-profile uh, coverage of the ET phenomenon that we saw in America this past year. Um it's been almost a year now since the special aired, and uh, everybody in ufology has an opinion on it, and I haven't heard yours, so uh, what did you think of it, and, and, you know, speak to that a little bit. Okay, I did write a column about it in, in uh, UFO Magazine, which is uh, uh, in the archive, obviously, uh, and it's also archived on my site in the, in the articles commentary section. A lot of people are upset with it because, again, there's a high level of frustration in this field. Of how things have advanced and uh, when resolution is going to come. So anything that they know to be off the mark, I mean, it just makes them mad, and I appreciate that. I view it differently. I view it from a, a broader perspective. Jennings um, found out he had cancer. Exactly when is not clear. The, 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 it, it seemed to uh, be, based on simply watching the television, that he found out just prior to announcing that he would be leaving the show. Uh, I wonder about that. I think he might have known sooner. But in any event, I'm almost sure he knew sooner. 
but at some point, I think, I think he'd been dealing with it, but I think at some point they realized he was losing the balance. So he he, uh, he retires from the show, and shortly thereafter he leaves. And he also announces that he has this. Now, parallel to all this, his his personal production company, PJ Productions, which had made some other documentaries in the past, including an infamous one about the Kennedy assassination, yeah, had made the decision to look into the UFO question and had been going around the country interviewing people for a number of months, including me. I'd heard the interviews made 153 people for a documentary, which is two hours, turns out, in length. And they uh, were serious. There was no question they were serious. They were interviewing uh, the best people they could find. They missed some, I thought. There's some that they really should have had, at least in their basket. And, of course, most of them did not make it on the air. Uh, and they put this two-hour documentary that he led. And it was almost, it was virtually the last thing that he did of any, any consequence. It turns out there was actually another documentary he also worked on. And it involved health care. And he, and that was aired recently. Um, but he was, I don't know, it wasn't fully complete at the time of his death. I think he sort of completed it. He was, he, he has some part in it. So, he, so it looks like the, the uh, UFO documentary, Peter Jennings reporting, seeing as the living, UFOs, Peter Channing reporting UFOs, seeing as believing, was not exactly the last thing he did, but it was darn near. And it's notable that he allowed this to go forward. In other words, he was not uncomfortable with this being maybe the last major piece of his legacy as a journalist. Yeah. He promoted the show aggressively. He went on a number of other networks to promote the show, which was interesting and appeared on some talk shows and so forth, you don't see that too often. You don't see an anchor from another network coming on to promote their documentary. Yeah. It's also notable that they did this through PJ Productions, and this is this is uh, makes a lot of sense. The networks, of course, have been extremely reluctant to engage this issue properly, uh, and they need to answer to that at some point, too. But the pressure to approach the issue is growing and growing. The cable channels, of course, are documentaries are pouring out of the cable channels on a weekly basis. The networks are sitting there, deaf, dumb, blind, going, ETs, ETs, I didn't know about ETs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they want to do something. By doing it through an independent production through Jennings, it gives them a plausible deniability. In other words, we didn't do it. They did it. And they had the choice to not do it. In other words, they put the thing together, and, and uh, they don't like it. They don't do it. And then when they do do it, again, it's it's Peter Jennings reporting. So it gives them a little bit extra distance. So it kind of makes it safer for them. And I noted that. And the documentary itself was uh, acceptable to me. It raised all the key points that needed to be raised, and in a serious way. The first hour was particularly strong for the pro-ET hypothesis people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, was enough to, should have been enough to galvanize dozens of journalists into action, but of course they, they didn't get galvanized. They're, again, they're in some sort of a trance, or their brains have been eaten by insects or something. What? They just say, yeah, well, well, this is interesting. Peter Jennings is reporting. Amazing stuff. But so what? There's no story here. Government told me there's no story here, and the government never lies to me. You know, the government's just uh, the, the, pillow, uh, the, the bastion of honesty, integrity, 
it would never lie to me about something important as, as extraterrestrial. So that was strong. The second half got complicated. And there was more debunking, or maybe not debunking, maybe that's being unfair. There was more counter uh, arguments in the second half, but he did something that I thought was very deliberate in the second half of this program, the second hour, that I have a feeling was a, a deliberate attempt to mitigate the negative response from the government and or any consequences. They, and, and for this, they, they, they screwed up. I mean, there's, there's no question that the documentary is, is, is reviewed later on. It will be reviewed historically. Will be viewed as, 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 as very badly flawed and questionable because of the second hour and what they did in the second hour and what they did was this: they 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 tried to to imply they implied that the whole concept of cover up or what I call the truth embargo is all centered around simply Roswell. That when you talk about UFO cover, it's about Roswell. There's cover up of anything else is not relevant. That the cover-up's about Roswell and nothing else. And then they attempted to, to explain, aside, and account for Roswell. And he, and he broke the veil of objectivity and specifically said flat out to the camera that Roswell, it turns out, was a myth. Which in and of itself was a problem, but... By connecting the cover-up to Roswell and then debunking Roswell as, in fact, a myth, they essentially debunk the cover-up itself. So what they're saying is that there is no cover-up. It was a problem that some of the public had with Roswell. Roswell, in fact, was not an E.T. craft crash, so therefore the government hasn't been covering up anything which helps to take pressure off the government. Because the one thing, one of the key elements of the, of the public's dissatisfaction about this is the government's truth embargo and the lie. Not necessarily that they um, didn't take the, the public's interest at heart when they, when they tried to deal with the ET issue back in the 50s, but they just kept the embargo going for many years. So, that's what they, so, so anything that would sort of mitigate that would, would be helpful to the government. And that's exactly what they did in the second half. Uh, they, they had a the presentation in the second half on abductions was actually much better than most people give it credit for. It was flawed by the fact that John Mack had died, and, and possibly because of that reason, they left his him out, but left the other uh, academic, uh, one Susan Clancy at Harvard, yeah. a woman whose shoes I would not want to be in, legacy-wise. Uh, let her kind of stand without without counterpoise from uh, from Mack. But they also they also raise some very strong points about abduction. So I think that the, the documentary, 75% of it was pretty good and helpful. The 25% was significantly a problem, but I think for a reason. Uh, so it was a political uh, equation that they solved there, and uh, they did it. Um, it has been replayed um, primarily on the, on the National Geographic channel. Oh, really? They apparently picked it up. Has been replayed on ABC that I'm aware of, though I'm not sure about that. Uh, if they were smart, they would do it again. But what hasn't happened is that you would think that given it had pretty good ratings, and the cost of a program like that is a fraction of what it costs to put on an ER or some of these other shows. Yeah. 
that ABC, uh, rather, yeah, that uh, rather NBC and CBS would be right behind it with some documentaries. But no, they just sitting there going, I don't know if with their huge corporate ownerships, with ties to the government through their government contractor, uh, defense contracting ways, and so forth. This is going to be awful for them. I, I really feel bad in a way because the networks were the beginning of television. They 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 did some great things, and they've helped shape the modern world. And when history finally looks at this, the networks are just going to be eviscerated over their complicity in this embargo uh, and other things where they they got too corporately owned, too tied up, too connected to the government, and they lost their productivity and, and have served the nation badly. And they're going to be ripped to pieces and the legacy of all the, uh, the people that ran them and owned them what have you, are going to be kind of marred, badly marred, uh, and they'll be even almost silly. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't envy them. Well, I want to add one more thing regarding the Jennings thing. Um, I think that Peter Jennings is a good man. I think he's an honest man. He was a good journalist. Uh, and uh, I liked him. And I am pretty sure that Peter Jennings knew there was an extraterrestrial presence. He hedged his comments in the promotion of the program. I understand that. I know that when he, I believe when he was promoting this program, he knew it was, his cancer was bad and that he might not make it. And I believe that the reason he sent his team out to do that thing, that show, and do those interviews and get that show out there was so that before he died, he would be on record as someone who is a great journalist, great television journalist, and anchor, who addressed the issue, you know, in-depth way, in a consummate way, before he died, and that that would be part of his legacy. Yeah. And I think his wife, if anybody knows this to be a fact, it would be his wife, and perhaps one day she'll elaborate on that. Um, step from behind the veil and, and let us know. I'd also like to know what Andrian knows about the specifics of Carl Sagan's real views on this and, and what went on. Uh, in terms of the subject matter and his relationship to the government. Uh, she's very protective of his legacy, but perhaps one day she will she will do that. Again, this is this is probably one of countless uh, addendums and, and, and accounts which will not occur until after disclosure takes place. Yeah. And I think people will be eager to uh, come out and clarify the, um, the decisions and experiences of their loved ones. Just to get them in the right context, historical context. Yeah. Now, okay, so we just named like three events, four if you count the India Daily thing, the Hell Year, the Brazilian Disclosure, the ABC UFO Special, uh, and obviously the India Daily thing. Those are four pretty big events in 2005. Now, we're at the beginning of 2006. Um, obviously, you probably, you, you, unless you have a crystal ball, you don't know, you couldn't tell me what the three big events of 2006 for exopolitics will be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not Ed Dames. If I had names, I could tell you everything was going to happen. Or Sean David, I more than I could tell you everything was going to happen. But unfortunately, I do not have prophetic powers. Uh, I do not have uh, that ability. I'm, 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 I'm completely terrestrial and mundane in my psychic skills. But uh, well, if you were, if you were those guys, unfortunately, it probably wouldn't come true. But uh, what do you think? What? Uh, 
Given what you know and what you, uh, you know, the, the lay of the land right now, what do you expect we'll see here in 2006? Do you see anything on the horizon that might break? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think that 2006 represents another window of opportunity for disclosure to take place. Disclosure, what, what I'm going to think of disclosure, it's, it's, it's really, uh, we've been, it's a mountain that we've been climbing for 59 years, really. And it's a formidable mountain, very high. And just like climbing Everest, I mean, it, it takes years, sometimes of preparation, then months to get everything there, and then weeks to to work your way up the mountain at different base camps. And, and you already create a base camp, you move up to the next one, and, you, and you've got the final base camp, which is just before the summit, which is where I think we've been now since 91. And from there, you make your attempts, right, to get to the summit. Uh, and if you don't make it, you fall back to that base camp and you try, you try to make another attempt. So in the last 11, well, actually now 14 years, I think there have been a couple of attempts to make it to the summit and effectuate disclosure, but they have not made it. They had to fall back to the base camp. And I believe that 2006 represents another year, another opportunity to make the assault on the, to the top. And the reasons are very political. And I'm going to be going to some lengths to point this out to our government, uh, both the executive and the congressional branch, using what tools I have at my disposal, um, depending upon the amount of funding that I have. And it's a simple equation. Um, the Bush administration and the neocon ideologies which surround it and are embedded in it have run their course. They had their day, you might say, finally. Yeah. These are not Reagan Republicans. They're certainly not Goldwater Republicans. And for better or for worse, they, they reached a point where things were about to go downhill for them, and I think they know it. Something similar happened in the, in the Clinton administration, but for much different reasons. Much different reasons. And because the reasons were different, Clinton weathered that storm and uh, got out, I suppose, with a certain amount of his hide intact. <laughs> uh, he was impeached. He went through a lot. And, of course, after he left, the Republicans, the other party, won the presidential election, or supposedly so. Yeah. Well, the situation facing the Democrats, the Republicans right now is far worse than what Clinton was facing. Most of his scandals were minor, uh, and the major one was about obstruction of justice over personal matters of sexual conduct. And overall, he had the people behind him, overwhelmingly behind him. You remember the polls? were totally in favor of Clinton in terms of should he be impeached and what should go on and, and support for his policies. His presidency had gone pretty well. So that is not what Bush is facing. Bush is facing, and he was well liked overseas. Bush is facing terrible, terrible time. He has, there's indictments uh, bubbling up all over the landscape regarding people connected to the administration. They're high-level stuff, too. Uh, there's uh, talk of impeachment. 
He's being attacked on fundamental policy issues from the right and the left. He has little support overseas. His, his, his approval ratings are down. They recently bounced a little bit, but they're down and capable of going much lower. He has an ongoing war, which is still not under control. It's an absolute mess. And he has an opposing party, which is out for blood because of the Clinton administration and what, what he went through at the hands of the right wing. Yeah. And so as this thing disassembles, it's possible that he may go through far worse than what even uh, Nixon went through. Uh, not that I'm comparing him to Nixon in that sense, so there is a lot of carryover. I mean, there's a lot of carryover from the Nixon and Bush administration into their world. Yeah. A lot of players back from those days. Um, the last two years of administration, really the last three, uh, could be awful. They are facing possibly a major catastrophe in the congressional elections this November. And if they lose those elections, if they if they lose the House, that opens the door for impeachment big time. If they lose the Senate, this is going to make it worse. So, I, 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 it, it, conviction is, is very difficult, but certainly impeachment. And you can bet your bottom dollar that the Democrats would go for it if they thought they had a chance. Yeah. And unlike Clinton, you now let me let me take that back. Clinton was also not not similar to Clinton, but more advanced is the relationship to, to all of this with the internet. The internet has become more powerful, more influential than it was even during Clinton administration, and will be brought to bear on this issue. So, if that happens, they're getting set up to lose the presidential election in 2008. Uh, all of that would lead to a revolt within the party. The the the, the fundamentalists. Wing of the Dem of the Republican support base is getting chewed up. Robertson is falling apart. Ro Falwell is a non-issue. Robertson, in fact, is even disavowed by Israel uh, recently. They're losing that. That's going to lose its influence. They're, they're, they're headed for a complete meltdown. And the neocon neocons could literally be running a town on a rail. Uh, now there are plenty of people in this country that would welcome all of that. All right? Let me be clear. But that's not my job. Um, uh, my work is nonpartisan. I'm not here to bring disclosure or to help effectuate disclosure on behalf of the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the other party. I'm here to do it part of the nation and, 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 and by extension, the, the, the globe. So the message that I think the Bush administration needs to hear loud and clear is that they have the potential to turn all this around most of it around very quickly, and be the disclosure administration. Uh, you know, th this is further uh, this is further uh, interesting by the fact that uh, I, I can make a pretty good case, and this case was supported, by the way, by material in a recent book called Exempt from Disclosure, published that uh, was authored by uh, Robert Collins and Richard Doty. The book is organizationally a mess. It was self-published and, and put out quickly, but. Uh, for those in the know, it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it, and it, it tends to cooperate what I've talked about for years, it, it, the, the original, for the first Bush administration, in the second term, was gonna, he was supposed to be the disclosure president, and they were moving toward that. And now his son's in, so there's a certain connection there, which is notable. Yeah. Uh, they, 
they, they are, they are, no matter what they do, they cost, they cannot escape the attacks that will continue to pound them over their mendacity regarding the, the war, the justification for the war. They lied about the war. And no matter what they do, they can't get away from the fact that the most secret administration in history, and there are people that have just have written eviscerating uh, description of all this. John Dean's book, uh, uh, Worse Than Watergate, gets across pretty well, but even people who work in the administration have, 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 have written pretty sharply about this. So they have the most secret administration in history, and, and they've got one that's really in the corner on major mendacity. And here is the, the biggest issue of all time sitting there. The greatest issue in the history of the human race, political issue, scientific issue, whatever, sitting there, embargoed for 59 years. And all I have to do is just say, okay, get in touch with the management group, whether it's called MJ-12 Committee, the majority, whatever, they, whatever the hell they're called now, and just say, look, we're ready to go, we're going to do this, let's do it. Get us, get, us, get us some docs, get us some, get us a quick game plan, we're going to announce this. And by doing that, they turn it all around. And suddenly his administration becomes a disclosure administration. It becomes administration that ends a huge uh, gap in the world knowledge, breaks the secrecy veil, uh, and turns it around. Now, the enemies of the Bush administration would not like that. They would go, we can't have him get that credit, and we can't have him be able to spin his legacy that way. Unfortunately, they're, they're limited by their partisanship. Yeah. They're thinking that, oh, no, we can't have disclosure unless it's under somebody we like. It has to be done the right way. It has to be in our way and so forth. Yeah. And, and, and things don't work that way. Uh, we don't know who was going to win the next election. Newt Gingrich might win the next election. So, we need to get this is a global issue. We need to get on, we need to get on with this. We need to get on with the, the world. We need to get on with the business of the human race, evolving hopefully to a better place. We do not have time to wait for the right political circumstance uh, to fit somebody's. We need to get it done, and it needs to be done. And in this case, uh, the, the case can be made that by doing it. It would be helpful to the administration and their overall position, their their, their historical legacy. Yeah. Now, will it will it allow them to win the uh, to hold the Senate and the House in two? I don't know. Ultimately, I don't care. Does it does it allow them to win the election in two thousand? I don't know, and I don't care. If they disclose now, if they hold the disclosure event in two thousand six, which again I think is very possible, I think this year's got the earmarks, and then try to spin a bunch of lies and deception around that in order to turn the issue to their benefit, not by its veracity, but by its mendacity. I'm going to lead the charge. You know, I, mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll be out there help them lead the charge to counter that and say, uh-uh. And of course, this gets us back to the issue we talked about at the very beginning. Yeah. Ooh. How, how, how involved and how important are going to be the people that have been doing this work for 50 years? We're going to need them. We're really going to need these people if a administration, whoever it is, took this disclosure moment and then used it by piling a bunch of nonsense on it, disinformation, and, and, and reapplying the tools that kept the embargo going to create a post um, 
disclosure uh, fantasy that serves their immediate needs, which may be winning elections, it may be weapons in space, it may be martial and a massive uh, effort to uh, to uh, engage extraterrestrials militarily, whatever. If it's bullshit, then it's got to be dealt with. Uh, and uh, but that remains to be seen. There's no, we don't know that that will happen. People have, have, have predicted it, worried about it. But until it's done, we don't know. Uh, first, we've got to get it done. First, we've got to get the truth out. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. It's not the end. It's only the beginning. Disclosure is the beginning. This whole prelude, 59-year prelude, is simply the ramp-up to the marathon. The marathon didn't start in 47. The marathon starts on Disclosure Day. This is all preparation. We've all been milling around, stretching out our hamstrings, you know, carbo-loading, talking with each other, getting ready for 59 years for the real marathon, which begins the day that the acknowledgement takes place in the new world. Literally, is going to be constructed around that new information and all it means. That's going to preoccupy certainly me and a lot of other people for the absolute rest of their lives and be the dominant factor in the, in the lives of the current generation who are, let's just say, entering high school. I mean, that's going to be the major focus one way or another of their lives for, for, for the next, you know, 100 years. And we'll things settle down again. And it becomes, I mean, and that may take maybe only 50 or 60 years, but when the presence of extraterrestrials will be as matter-of-fact and as unremarkable as... Uh, Of, of sea otters or or uh, or uh, anything else that we take for granted in our modern world, and that will come to pass without question. And then who knows what we go. I'd love to be able to stick around to see that. I tell you, I'd love to, but I think that happens. So um, this is uh, the first thing that needs to be said about 2006. Um, I think that the disclosure process in Canada is going to go further, and it's possible that Canada, something could happen up there. Yeah. We're going to do everything we can to make that happen. Uh, I've stated repeatedly that if Canada were to break ranks on the extraterrestrial issue with the United States, meaning that they were going to go their own way and say whatever they wanted to, the, the, the thing would collapse. The embargo would collapse quickly. The U.S. couldn't sustain it. Canada's too close to us. There's too many Canadians here, too many Americans up there. Yeah. The media up there is not locked down. Uh, they couldn't contain it and be over. Uh, so Canada has a position to effectuate this. They wanted to. Either to, to, to make it impossible for the, government, the U.S. government to not disclose or disclose himself. And that's their call, I don't know. So that, that's, you're going to see more there. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see another Brazilian type thing. I think we'll see another government, at least one, maybe two, break ranks in that way, you know, sort of a semi-break. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Uh, can I can I pick some place not off the top of my head? Can I make a suggestion? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I was thinking maybe Japan or China. One of those two, I think, is primed to be the next. Uh, well, Japan maybe. Japan might do a quasi break. China, no. Uh, China, it's all or nothing there. China is a huge issue. Yeah, they're going to keep it in house for now. Well, not, well, what I'm saying is, what I mean, here's what I mean, all or nothing. 
a lot of people in this country, the neocons, try to sell the idea that this is going to be the American century, and uh, they weren't even close. There's a good chance it's going to be the Chinese century. Yeah. However, they're limited by the fact that they're they're still close, too close, and they've generally been uh, close for a very long time. India, on the other hand, has been less so, and uh, it could be the Indian century. It certainly may be the Asian century. China has got great ambitions, and they are increasingly in a position to realize those ambitions. So, if China makes a move on this, it will not be to send a message to the United States. They will end it. They will do. They will do full out disclosure. They'll haul out craft. They'll haul out some bodies. They'll put some stuff up there, and they will claim this mantle for themselves. And it's interesting. They've been rattling their cages lately. They've been asserting themselves a lot. In fact, right now there's a map that's being uh, put in play that supposedly. It's going up for auction. Supposedly, it's a copy of the map. It goes all the way back to like the uh, fifth century, in which they map. It shows a Chinese uh, admiral that had gone out and mapped uh, North and South America. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, and there have been some other things that have turned up that may be hoaxes about a China asserting their their racial superiority and other things. I, I just have a feeling that that China has huge ambitions. They have a space program in the works. They'll probably have to go to the moon. If they make a move, it will not be like Brazil. It will not be like Mexico. It will be a full-blown disclosure, and they will take that mantle for themselves. They've always felt they've been backseated. Uh, their civilization goes back probably, it may go back before summer. They're a little weary of the uh, Western world-centric uh, focus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, they've been—they're now carrying a tremendous amount of our of our debt. Uh, they've got a huge surplus with uh, with us. They have the nukes, of course. They—they get real close to asserting themselves as a real power. They've—they've they've, they've done that on time, but frankly. Not to the level that they could, and I have a feeling it's getting get close. And one way they might do that is disclosure. And so, uh, China, I put in a special category, not Russia, but China. Yeah. Uh, Russia, I don't think would do it for that reason. They got other issues. They're tied to us a little closer, but China is not. Why well, they're tied to us? They're more dependent on us. China is not dependent on us. In fact, China is eating our lunch. Yeah. Uh, we get four percent great growth here, and, and the president jumps up and down and sings praises. They had a sixteen percent growth rate, I think, two years ago. So they may disclose, and which they don't take that legacy away from the West, and uh, that would be intriguing. So they need to be watched, absolutely. And that doesn't mean there won't be other signs. Won't be other signs. I think they have to be watched. There may be a conference of some kind that they'll hold, and it may be more government connected. They held one last year. I think it was government connected. Maybe the government will be involved in the next one. That'll send a message. Something else will emerge. So yeah, I think China. Something will happen there. Uh, but uh, what you really have to look for is them making a move to uh, to take a disclosure legacy for themselves. Yeah, I can see how. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I thought about both. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Japan might toss something our way. They, overall, we're not in too much of an antagonistic position with them, and 
I don't know if there if there's true impatience there. I think the impatience is more second world. Yeah. Because these are the countries that would benefit from technological uh, change, you know, large magnitude technological change, yeah. uh, worldview change. I mean, they they they, they know they're they're in short shift and uh, uh, they got a lot of problems. So when I look at Brazil, I look at Mexico, I mean, uh, and, and India, which is almost second world, these are the nations that really want to benefit and need, need to benefit from from a post-disclosure reality, even a contact, post-contact reality, yeah. uh, where new technologies have become available to human race and because they're, we're, we're either we bring them out of the closet or the ETs provide it. They, they're the ones that need it badly. So I think you're going to you look at that second world yeah, okay. for, uh, for possibilities. That opens up boy, um, oh, again, South America, any, any, any country in South America can yeah. do something. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's a possibility. Maybe some European countries type situations, everything like that. Well, maybe. Well, well, yeah, France, of course, has already done its thing. You may see Spain do something, possibly, uh, definitely. Australia intrigues me. Australia has been abused, I think. Uh, by the West to some degree, and use I know by the intelligence community. I mean, they just they got they 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 really cut quite a figure down there. And I, I think sometimes I wonder if Australia is kind of fed up with uh, with that. Um, so who knows? Something could emerge out of there. Yeah, it's surprising. Well, he's possible to get out of absolutely. Um, so uh, and what else? Um, Another X conference, perhaps. If the money turns up, another uh, the perfect good year to do another conference along the line. Not conference, but news, news conference along the lines of the May 9th press conference, the disclosure project put on in Washington, yeah. May 9th, 2001. Uh, we need another one. Need a follow up. This year would be not a bad year for that. So that's a possibility. Certainly, some witnesses will turn up, and also uh, I expect more. Books like exempt from disclosure. There's a lot of people in the that have operated in the interstitial area between the inside and the outside, uh, connected to people in the UFO field, connected to people inside the government. I call them the men in gray. There are a lot of them. Robert Collins is one, and so is Richard Doty. I have a feeling you're going to see some more of that. I think that as we get closer to disclosure, either perceived to be closer, or in fact we are closer. A lot of people that are in that role are going to want to get that on the record. They're going to want to get their story out there. They're going to want to get it out there in the best favorable light uh, so that they're not forgotten. Yeah. Or that uh, they are a player. I want to be a player in the process. But I think you're going to see this. So expect more of these kind of uh, books. Uh, I was involved in this. I was involved in that. I think you see some more witness emergence. I think that's inevitable. Uh, and the other thing to look for is the intelligence community. Uh, the intelligence community is very disaffected with the Bush administration. They got pushed pretty to the limit. Used and abused, you might say. And I think that there is a much greater potential this year for people in the intelligence community, either retired or otherwise, to break ranks and come out. And as we're already seeing some of that, already, primarily mainstream stuff, but 
it wouldn't surprise me if the intelligence community suddenly became more of a friend to disclosure uh, and willing to cooperate in, in ways hidden and not hidden. Uh, so look for that. Agents, Okay. And uh, obviously we have the next presidential election, um, rumors of Hillary Clinton running. We, uh, most people in the UFO community know about um, sort of the uh, how uh, the Clinton administration was approached about disclosure often. I don't think most people do. I think most people, researchers do. That's what I mean. The vast majority of people that are interested, I think it's still a minority plurality, maybe 20%, 30%. Okay, well, hopefully they'll uh, educate and research them. Uh, hopefully they will, because that's a major issue. And uh, so do you think, uh, what, what do you think we should be watching for in the 2008 presidential election? Um, anything in particular sort of uh, come to mind? Same, well, the same thing I've said in every, every election. Uh, people have got to decide whether they want people to ascend to the presidency or to the highest powers without addressing this issue and let them go scot-free, not ask the questions of them when they get the chance to be good little boys and girls and, and and just keep to the script, not try to pin them down. Of course, I really mean the press here, but also people with these town hall meetings. Of course, Bush administration is famous for their, their controlled yeah. events. Uh, the Democrats try not to do that because they don't want to be seen that way, but they, they believe me, they would mind controlling it if they could get away with it. There's plenty of opportunities for either the press or the public to ask questions of these candidates on this issue. They won't do it. They're too embarrassed. Well, they gotta, they got to get over that. Yeah. Nobody should get to the presidency without speaking to this issue in some depth, uh, but obviously they continue to do that. So the first and foremost, anybody that, that, that gets in the game needs to be hit. I don't care if it's Al Sharpton or Hillary Clinton or anybody else. They need to be hit with these questions repeatedly until they either read up on it and, you know, in order to avoid making a fool of themselves or flat out say they don't want to take the questions or come clean. So that's the first thing. And do you think uh, that that's the responsibility of the people in the UFO community because the media is not going to deal with it? It's the responsibility of everybody. Well, yeah, I realize that. But, I mean, since the media is not going to ask the questions they haven't yet, they, I don't think they're going to for the 2008 election, it's important that people who want the answers don't just rely on somebody else to ask the questions if they have the opportunity. Whoever, well, whoever you are, if you, if you know there's an issue here, whether you're, quote, in the UFO community or you're, you've been uh, in the closet all these years, you get a shot at these candidates. You got to hit them with these questions. Yeah. Uh, if I had the money, I'd follow these candidates around and try it myself. But it's expensive, right? So you have to rely on people that are out there. They come to their town. They get out there and you know, and they're you know, shaking hands or whatever. Even hit them in the hit them with a question in the handshake line, like uh, Charles Hufford did. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Those things get on camera very more often than you might think. We we just keep letting these people aspire to run the most powerful nation in the world, and we say, well, no, we don't, we don't want to ask you about that. You don't talk about that. You don't talk about that. There's a lot of things you don't ask about. What's your position on overpopulation? Oh, we can't talk about that. So we don't ask them anything. The only people that, you know, the only people that seem to be willing to say whatever's going on their mind and, and, and speak the truth are comedians now. The, the Dennis Millers, the Bill Mars, the John Daly's that, that are, sort of have a license to say anything they want. Everybody else is like, oh, well, we can't talk about that. can't ask that. So consequently, we got people that go into office and then don't address those issues that they've been given a free ride on and nothing gets done. And so we pay the consequences. In terms of the election itself, make no mistake about it, Hillary Clinton's going to run for president. She is way out in front of the, of all other Democratic challengers. And she knows she's got to do it this time. She cannot wait any longer. Yeah. She's
got a pretty good situation, so I guarantee you she's running for president, and there's a pretty good chance she's going to win the nomination. And I can assure you also that that's not going to be thrilling to the hardliner types inside government, both in the intelligence community, the military community, and the defense contractors, and other closeted neocons. They're, they're, they're not going to be thrilled about her as president. They're not going to be thrilled at all about her being the disclosure president, which is what could very well happen. Because this truth embargo, by and large, is still hanging on by a thread and ain't getting, ain't getting any easier to maintain it. With each passing year, and now we're talking three years from now, and then what, a four-year administration? They think that they're going to keep this embargo going? My God, dinner, she'll be, you know, there'll be an embargo on, and she'll be having dinner with extraterrestrials on the balcony of the veranda. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So they, they had better think twice about playing this game much longer. In terms of the Republican side, I think they're going to be in total disarray. I think it's going to be a mess. I think they're going to be those that want to turn to McCain, uh, but he's old paradigm. Uh, New Gingrich suppose is going to try to run. That's going to be kind of a joke. He'll be the Al Sharpton of the 2008 campaign. <laughs> um, it's hard to know who the the uh, the uh, who could emerge on the Republican side. McCain is clearly up there at the, near the top. Uh, oh, by the way, the other side, you've got uh, Wesley Clark as a good president, uh, vice presidential partner for Hillary. Um, interesting balance there. Look for him to emerge. Kerry uh, wants another shot. It's not going to happen. Gore, not going to happen. Barack Obama's too soon. So you're looking at you think you're, going, you're looking at Hillary and a strong national defense military type as her partner. That's the ticket that gets your first woman president, for better or for worse. On the Republican side, it depends on how much damage is done between now and then, uh, because they're going to take hits like you wouldn't believe. I don't care if Iraq becomes the 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 new Athens. Yeah, right. Um, it's too much. Price been paid. Uh, recently, Columbia University did a study that tried to assess the cost of the war, taking everything into account the direct, indirect, and tertiary stuff. And they've come up with a figure now this war is going to cost between one and two trillion dollars. Oh, man. Uh, you take that in context and you start thinking about it, and it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. They, they only needed about a billion bucks to fix those levies and could have saved New Orleans, but they, they couldn't afford it, and there's bridges falling down. I guess spent a trillion to two trillion dollars. And the whole thing could be wiped away in about a week. I mean, all it takes is a, an uprising in Iraq, and they can have a wonderful democracy, and the thing will be a, will be a religious Muslim country in, in 30 days. I mean, and it's all gone. You know, all billion and a half gone. Unless they want to go in with nukes and kill everybody again. I mean, it's just a disaster, no matter what happens at this point. And so... Who is going to merge the Republican side is hard to say because they're about to go through the ringer, so you can't predict. The Democrats is a little more predictable. And in the middle of all this, as in every other election since 1948, the E.T. embargo remains, and the greatest news story of all time, the most profound information of all time, remains in a box that is not allowed to be opened by anybody but a few individuals with need-to-know clearance. And my thinking is, boy, that's, it's getting really old. Yeah. This has got to end. Uh, so I am hopeful. What is 
ideal, and this is another reason why uh, it's a, you know, a nonpartisan approach is appropriate. The ideal thing is for the Bush administration to disclose this year. Whatever benefit they get, they get. But that means that the next election will be the first one in the post-disclosure world, and it will mean that this issue will be completely and thoroughly debated. Well, certainly, it will be part of the campaign on every level. Yeah. Uh, and the public will, after taking about a year, right, to, let's say it happens in mid-year July, they'll take a year to digest all this. Fine. So it's mid-2007. And then they start to come out of their little shock. And then as 2008 begin, they're ready to, 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 to talk about it with every candidate out there, every governor candidate, every senatorial, congressional candidate, presidential candidate. And so it'll be the talk of the election all through 2008, as well as the rest of the world. And then the next president will be the first post-disclosure president and their views on this subject. What they knew, when they knew it, why they knew it, everything else, and they're what will be fully uh, connected to it. That, that makes sense. That works. And then Bush will get the credit. Even if they lose in 2008, he'll get the credit for, for making it possible for this to be part of our life and, and get on with it. And uh, he'll deserve the credit because he did it. Now, good intentions only go so far. you got to do it. Yeah. You know, people that say, I'm progressive, I'm on the left, I'm for the, the poor and this and that and everything else. And then there's something major needs to be done. Well, I can't do that. Yeah. Well, your intentions don't mean diddly squat if you don't do it. Right? Nixon went to China. Not Adlai Stevenson. If Bush discloses, fine. Clinton could have. He should have, because he, he had nothing to lose. Uh, he'd been ruined, disgraced, on a personal basis. So he had nothing to lose, but he didn't. Why? Because his wife had something to lose. Yeah. So he made a decision that I'm not going to engage this issue while I'm president or after I'm president, because I owe my wife one presidential nomination. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. What's the point? Uh, but that left a legacy to George Bush. Yeah. Now, the question is, is George Bush going to pick up that legacy or not? Interesting question. I look forward to uh, this year with great interest. This is going to be a very interesting year. It's going to have some highs and lows. Uh, but I think it's going to be a more profound year. 2005 was a mess, uh, but interesting. I think 2006 is going to be more profound. Interesting and more profound. I hope so. Um, now, uh, in, in, uh, in one of the speaking things I saw you in, uh, you stressed that the, we're in the disclosure process and that it's not a movement yet. What do you think will uh, we'll take it to the next level? Money, obviously, but other than money, what do you think will take uh, the process to become a movement? Hmm. Well, there's a, a catch-22 here. Um, this needed to be a movement long ago, but it, it didn't become one because it was ghettoized. They managed to ghettoize it. Yeah. Uh, and the lack of the money certainly is critical. So the ability to create a movement is still significantly hampered. The process is definitely there. The movement's not there. The, the number one thing to help make a movement happen is money. Yeah. The other thing would be a major break in the issue, but the fact is is that if, if there is truly a major break, given how, how 
vulnerable this improved embargo is, that disclosure will probably happen before any movement could come together. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that it's more likely that disclosure is going to happen before a movement generates. Now that's a problem, and and there, here's the reason: we need a movement. We need a we need a movement. We need a a large scale public engagement of political realities of exit politics, and the sooner the better, because in the aftermath of disclosure, it's going to be so chaotic, and it's going to be like a it's going to be a three eight ring circus. Yeah. It may be hard to get that movement together. If we can get it together now, then we'd have the structures to build on. So it would be nice if we could get a true political movement going. Now, in other words, a, a expat, say, had a million bucks and, and uh, built up a mail list of one million Americans. and They were all getting regular updates. And uh, there were pressures being put on by these groups. And maybe another PAC got formed. We had more than one PAC. And whatever. They, perhaps a march in Washington. Whatever. If, if that were to happen, it would, it would be helpful to, to uh, the post-disclosure uh, uh, ability to operate and maneuver. But it's going to be tough because uh, it's catch-22. Uh, but the thing that would make it most likely would be money, a couple million bucks, and uh, we could probably get a movement possibly put together before disclosure breaks. But if we wait for the breaking event or something really significant happen, uh, and then try to form the movement, I guess we won't even have it underway before disclosure will happen. And so we'll, the movement will have to be put together in the post-disclosure world. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying there won't be a political movement in the post-disclosure world. I think there will be a number of them, actually. But um, uh, it would be best if we had it now. In other words, imagine the, imagine the, remember the suffragette movement, all right? That was a major political movement to get women the right to vote, one of the most important events in human history. Yeah, yeah. Modern history. Um, imagine if there was no movement for, for the women's right to vote. Right? It was just kind of a process. No movement. No demonstrations. No major funding. No nothing. And they had just waited for something to break uh, in the government or some, somebody to come out and something unusual to happen. And then, you know, or even waited for women to get the vote. And then they would form a political. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine. I mean, that would be kind of. Odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and the fact is, is that when the women got the right to vote, those, all that political activity and all those organizations and all that political process and movement that had occurred before was then translated in the, after the vote was uh, legalized to helping women further empower themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, if they had waited and not created a movement, they might not have gotten a vote until 1930 or 40. Who knows? I mean, another 10, 20 years. So, in a way, things are bass accurate, but th that's because of the embargo. That's because of the ghettoization. Yeah. Women, I mean, they tried to ghettoize women. I mean, they, they tried to sort of ghettoize women, to, 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 to create these myths that they were weak or that they were silly or that they were not educated and they couldn't. They, 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 they couldn't make proper decisions and picture them as homebodies and so forth. And there was an effort to do that, but it really didn't succeed, partially because women were 50% of the population, and they were married to men. And so, you know, to the extent that men would try to create this ghetto, I think they'd go home and get, get hell. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it just wasn't, they couldn't quite do it. But you know the concept of the little woman and the stay-at-home wife is still well prevalent into the 50s and 60s in America. And it was an incipient ghettoization process. It was an example of an attempt to ghettoize virtually 50% of the population along certain 
ideas that were that were uh, either bogus and and or diminishing, but it didn't succeed anything like the ghettoization of the extraterrestrial phenomena activist research efforts. They really succeeded. Uh, the only well, they succeeded. Like the Nazis didn't succeed in ghettoizing the Jews and uh, other non-Aryans. They ghettoized the hell out of them and they succeeded very well. I mean, they marginalized them, they separated them, they diminished them, and then they slaughtered them. So, I mean, and, and, and the public went along with it. So they, they succeeded spectacularly there. Uh, and of course, because that kind of activity ultimately is venal and, and destructive, it ended up bringing about their own destruction. And overall, that's what you expect. The, the, the ghettoization of this field will bring about negative consequences for those who did it. Uh, it won't be at the, mark, the level of what happened in Nazi Germany, uh, which was reduced to rubble, but it will reduce a lot of people's legacies to rubble, and there will be counter there will be counter effects. Uh, hopefully, not something that will be worse, more damaging than good. I mean, there needs to be balance and accountability, but sometimes it, it can go too far. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which is why I, I frequently refer to the the uh, reconciliation process in South Africa. There could have been a bloodbath in that transition there, and it could have been all kinds of stuff. It, it was so many years of awfulness. But they went with reconciliation and reconciliation approach, and and I think it clearly Im improved the prospects for South Africa to become uh, a viable and and a, and a uh, fair and just place to live. Though it's far from that yet. Reconciliation is the model I use for the uh, post-disclosure world. Uh, we need people who, in some cases, to come forward and acknowledge what went on and and, uh, and divulge information in return for our forgiveness. Uh, and we need some people to be candid. But we don't really need to go on a historical witch hunt uh, and uh, try to uh, exact revenge on everybody we think acted inappropriately. Uh, as bad as the UFO thing was, the management of this issue, the activities of the secret government, the what I call the secret empire, yeah. in other areas, have far exceeded what they did in the UFO area. And so, if we're going to play the accountability retribution game, we should start elsewhere and let the UFO ET paradigm change occur with as minim, minimum of that as possible because we have bigger fish to fry here. We need to get on with the world, and uh, we're not, we don't have a lot of time. So I'm much—I'm not interested in retribution. I'm interested in paradigm change, uh, and let history sort it out. Uh, now, post-disclosure attempts at you know some of these covert black operations, intimidation, murder, things like that—that's just not going to be acceptable. Yeah. And say, okay, now, now I'm just going to go kill a few people that might be a proof of pro uh, Anybody that does anything post-disclosure, they need to be hauled out of government. They need to be brought into town square. They need to be convicted, tried, and they can hang them from their ankles as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but for that, uh, for those activities that clearly cross the line going back to 47, I'm not particularly eager to, uh, to do, I mean, to get too far into uh, the legal and moral accountability factors. Uh, they uh, did what they did, uh, and uh, we have the need to move on. So that, that but that's a, that's a very debatable question, and there are a lot of people out there who would be happy to disagree with me on that. And I'd be happy to debate it publicly. I think it's a, it's important an issue to to discuss publicly.
Uh, these are sort of like issues facing disclosure, uh, sort of roadblocks. Uh, and uh, first of all, I want to ask you about, we sort of touched on this in, in our conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, but not, uh, but this one's uh, for the interview. Um, do you find resistance within ufology to embracing disclosure? And uh, how do you overcome that? Because obviously I've, like, I've talked to people about disclosure and a lot of them are, like I said before, uh, they take the tact that, um, you know, well, I've been in this for 30 years and I've heard it every five years or so and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's a, that's a different thing. You, 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 what you've just discussed uh, or, or described is skepticism about it happening, but you're talking about resistance to it happening. Uh, that was your question and, and that's yeah. your well, point. Yeah, I mean skepticism. Uh, well, first of all, there are a number of people in the field that have been active in the field, researcher or activists, who, yeah. who have the opinion that the expression of this information was in the, in the best interest of the country. Uh, just there are people outside the field who have given a hypothetical. Do you think it would be best to keep this a secret? They would say, yeah. yeah. So just on that, on that basis, they are not supporters of the disclosure event. <laughs> Uh, because they still believe this information is too sensitive and too too uh, disturbing. So that's understandable. That's a, that's, that's a given. There are a certain number of people that are that mindset, and and uh, I don't have a problem with that. Art Bell has basically made made that case. I mean, he's yeah. several times made that case. So uh, there's that. Um, now I, I don't. I think it's a minority. I think it's definitely a minority, but there are some people of, 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 of influence in the field that feel that way. Now, is that frustrating for you? Because, like, uh, you need the help of these people in, in some cases because they're specialists. Uh, I have so many things to be frustrated about. Tim. <laughs> it's, it's like it's just one one of the many many things. I don't I don't uh, you don't dwell on. I don't just I don't describe too much uh, to that. Uh, there are so many barriers. That's just one. And yeah. And overall, it's not a barrier. I particularly want to invest too much time in because because I think I think your positions are they can support your positions with a certain line of reasoning, and you're not going to change your mind on that. And I I, I don't think you could. Uh, and, and and who knows? You may be right. Yeah. It may be, maybe maybe this truth embargo shouldn't end. It may be that when it's all said and done, we have a disclosure event a year later. I'm going. Why do we do that? You, there are no guarantees. Exactly. Uh, I'm making the best call that I can. I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't made the call. Uh, as, as everybody else that I work with that are, that are in favor of disclosure, they're making the best call they can. Does that mean that two years after disclosure, we all get together at a party somewhere and go, Jesus, wish we had kept our mouth shut. This is a mess. This is the worst thing. No, that's no guarantee. But you got to make a call. you got to make a decision. I mean, yeah. you're either going gonna to press forward or you're not. Um, and you hope you're right. Um, but there are some people in the field that are very irritated with the exopolitical movement and its, its evolution since 91. A lot of that is, is just frustration. They, they uh, have been in it for a long time, and uh, it's kind of now changed its focus, and there's, their importance is diminishing. They're in the process of sort of sliding into history. They're not happy about that. I don't blame them. They're, so they, they're, they're irritated with this new group that has turned up in the last years to to, to, to take this focus elsewhere. And they feel like maybe they're being left behind. I try not to do that. I really try to oh, yeah, I know acknowledge uh, the people, but there are those that just 
believe that uh, that's what's going to happen, and so they view us as Johnny come latelys, and uh, they are very critical of what we do, and that's human nature. Nothing to do about that. Um, for the rest of the issues and problems that exist in the ghetto, I have the same response. I do not. I, I, I the principal culprit for all of the problems and travails that exist inside the, the ghetto of extraterrestrial-related phenomena researchers and activists. Whether it's credibility issues, the quality of the writing, the quality of the books, whatever, I lay all of that in one place. I lay it at the feet of the United States government. They created the embargo. They created the ghetto. They made the money impossible to get. They made it very hard on us. And we're doing the best we can. Yeah. So if anyone wants to blame somebody, don't blame your fellow researcher. Put the blame where it rightly goes, and that's the U.S. government's decision to embargo. Yeah. And disrupt, and misinform, misinform, and undermine, and ghettoize this issue. That's where, that's the culprit, and that's where we need to focus our attention. Not on each other's failings, uh, but on that issue. You get the embargo, you get the truth embargo, and uh, we'll be surprised how easier it is to to be tolerant of uh, other people's uh, efforts and their limitations and so forth. Yeah, now you spoke uh, earlier when we spoke, uh, when we talked earlier, uh, you said that you thought that ufology needed to become uh, more proactive and uh, you had said something about... become more advocacy oriented. Yeah. yeah. When that's MUFON needs to do that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's where I was at uh, question. And uh, I've talked to them a little bit and I'm going to bump them again, but not so far. They're not ready to do that. They don't want to do it. Uh, I think that if they don't, become an advocate organization and, and, and bring in a whole bunch of new members based on that, using ARP, AARP as the model, MUFON may disappear altogether. Uh, and uh, other, uh, to the extent possible, any organization out there and any person, they need to, they need to become advocates. Yeah. Uh, but if somebody simply just wants to research sightings and investigate, and or be kind of just an historian type with that and not advocate, that, I'm not, I don't condemn them for that. Oh yeah, uh, that's a choice they make. They, there may be reasons that they, can, they they have to do that. They're limited to that. Uh, but whatever, they're, it's okay. But uh, but those who can advocate or those who are considering it but haven't done it need to do it. Yeah. Now, what about the problems uh, with d disclosure um, and educating the American and the world population about the ET issue? I mean, uh, from, we're on the outside here. We're trying to figure it out ourselves. Obviously, we know UFOs are or uh, are they're not unidentified. They're alien ships. Yeah, well, well, some of them are alien ships. Yeah, some of them are alien ships. Some of them are all kinds of other stuff, prosaic type things. Um, and we're still trying to really wrap our head around, you know, where they come from, all that sort of stuff. How do you think uh, we can go about educating the the Americans and the world about the ET issue? And this probably speaks to the Alfred Weber uh, decade of contact sort of idea. Well, first of all, the amount of people in the world that Excluding the third world, I mean, you got you got to sort of step away from the third world. I mean, they 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 got just getting up in the morning and, and being alive in the evening is 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 is, is enough. I mean, they they got all kinds of problems. So I'm I'm not. It, there's only so much you can do there, and so uh, and I respect the fact that they got big problems and 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 worrying about the cosmologies of this universe. It's maybe not on the top of the list, so. Let's focus on the first and second world. 
first of all, in those worlds, there's nobody out there that's figured this out. Isn't it? Hundreds of millions. I know. Right? They don't have the, I mean, I have all the details. I mean, I've seen all the documentaries and read the books. The point is that they know that the employees are showing this. Uh, the interest is huge in China, big in Japan. Uh, clearly, something's happened in India. Um, you know, parts of India are basically third world, but parts of it are not. So the people are aware. There's documentaries all over the place. The cable channels, which have penetrated virtually every home in the country. I mean, technically, if you want to watch the documentaries, they're there. Yeah. Uh, there's a library now. Uh, History Channel has a library, A&E, biography, uh, even uh, National Geographic. The, the the Learning Channel, which is kind of in transition. Uh, the library's there, and they, 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 they occasionally they pick up a new one. Every once in a while, they get another one, and they just keep rotating them around. They've been running them for forever. Yeah. Uh, now we've seen a network pop one out, ABC. The books are out there. Movies, uh, the, ten of the top grossing movies. Uh, ten of the top 30 grossing movies of all time, based on world gross figures, deal with extraterrestrial themes. Extraterrestrials in one form or another. Star Wars, mostly. Star Trek and uh, Contact, also for all this stuff. Oh, E.T., extraterrestrial, oh, whatever. Ten, ten, one third deal with extraterrestrials. They know. All right, so it's not so much raising their awareness. It is raising their awareness to the political implications of maintaining the embargo. That's a little different. They know ET. The number of people in the world that know ETs are here in one level or another and, and either in their own mind is very, very large, more than enough to support a worldwide mass of them. What they haven't registered yet is the political implications of keeping this embargo going. And raising their awareness is getting on the mainstream media, getting on television, uh, getting the attention of governments, and the number one impediment to that is money. Yeah. And in fact, we're at the critical point now. Money has to come in. We cannot continue. The level, the pace cannot continue at the previous pace. It must accelerate. We're, we're reaching tipping points in a number of areas. And in order for the pace to increase, we have to have major money, which means we have to have the breakthrough. We have to, we have to finally, the veil has got to come off the eyes of some very wealthy Americans who are saying, yeah, I, this is a huge issue. I get more money than God, so here's $2 million and the embargo. Uh, you know, and I, and make sure I get credit, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so America's got thousands of people that could do that. Uh, we're the richest nation in the world. I mean, we, 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 we get millionaires everywhere. And that's true. There's a lot in Europe and a lot elsewhere. The, the, the wealthy have got to step forward. The foundations are still, the, what we'll call the philanthropic organization, are still tied up. And it's harder for them to break the step boards and histories and everything else. And there's some influence there I think the government may have on them. But individuals, no, no. I don't think the government's going to go kill anybody that, that, that donates money to this because they're famous. But there are no guarantees. But whatever, we need to go get that money. And when we get it, then we can really start taking the process to a level that is appropriate to the issue. Uh, so my, my, one of my principal jobs now, and I've, I've taken it on, <laughs> conveniently so because I'm completely broke, is to help make that breakthrough happen, too to find that major donor who is known enough, well-known enough that others will say, okay, if that person's putting some big money in this, I can do the same. Yeah. And the money will start coming. Yeah. And uh, once that comes, I mean, that, 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 without any other breakthroughs, once the money starts to happen, the embargo is finished.
So once you get like one or two big names, then things will start rolling. Uh, yeah, people will show up that's where it takes one or two big names to yeah. publicly come out and say, I think I'm, I believe this is absolutely true. I believe we've got to end this embargo, and I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. There's two million bucks. Yeah. Do your thing. And uh, I'm telling all my friends to do the same thing. What's, what's the government going to do? Go run them over with a truck? No. Doesn't the government knows that, too, by the way. Yeah. So it's like, uh, that's, uh, that's my role. I think I've taken it on. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to find the meetings, to meet with people who have the power either to do that or the ability to get me in front of people who can. And if I'm successful, I promise you that I will put that money to good use not on, on the advocacy of this issue and will pass a good deal of it on to other organizations and advocates to uh, empower them as well. Won't hesitate. So that's one of my principal. That's my major project. I, I, I have a bunch of other stuff that DRG will be doing because it doesn't cost much. Uh, that's being held off though because the money's so bad now that like it's like almost a crisis mode. But po the point is, is that uh, those projects will move forward. They can move forward. But then the major project is getting the funding breakthrough. My lord, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, for those out there who know that their their physical needs will never ever lack for as long as they live, and their children will be rich, and their grandchildren will be rich, and they've got that kind of money, who but want to make a difference in this world, I, I, they gotta, they gotta, they gotta, given the opportunity, I have to believe that they would realize that being the person that spearheads the political movement, it ends the cover-up of the most important information in the history of all human time. That's an opportunity you don't get very often, right? That's not, that's, that's on a little higher scale than getting a library at a university named after you. That you can change history and they'll be talking about your contributions for a thousand years or more. Somebody's going to go, wow, that's an opportunity. I want to, I want to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, somebody will, and uh, with any luck, I'll, I'll be able to help along, help that process happen. All right. Now, now another sort of obstacle that's stepping in the way of disclosure, at least uh, that people tell me, you know, when I hear uh, as I do my research, is uh, something like uh, abductions, cattle mutilation, um, the darker elements in the peripheral area of uh, the UFO phenomenon, uh -huh. and how the government may not be able to, uh, they may not be able to protect us or control that sort of thing. So they're they're not going to say anything until you know. They can reassure us that they can. What uh, What are your thoughts on that whole idea? You mean the government's not able to protect us from uh, abduction? Things like seven fifty uh, seven fifty seven airplanes flying into large buildings. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Big shock. Uh, <laughs> it turns out the government's not able to protect the American citizens from everything that's going on in the world. For instance, the government, if you were an American citizen lying on a beach in Thailand a while back, Christmas of last year, the government really wasn't able to protect you from that wall of water that came in. Um, the fact that there are things going on, extraterrestrial related, that, that they're beyond the power of the government to prevent, to me, is should be irrelevant to the truth process. If anything... The fact that there's anything going on the government can't prevent on the current status is a clear reason why the status has to change. So for those who, for those farmers out there 
who don't like having their cattle turn up with their rectums cored out, uh, which tends to reduce their market value. Uh, for those contactees who who are having experiences which, at least from their point of view, are very unpleasant, and for those uh, farmers or ranchers who are having crop circles cut in their fields and then having 10,000 interested people turn up to trample all over the place looking at them, my statement is this, it's real simple, unless you can make a better case for another alternative, I believe the best chance for you to not have to deal with that anymore is the end the truth embargo and let all six billion people on this planet know the ET presence. Yeah. I can make a pretty good case that contact, this kind of surreptitious contact, off the record I know it's contact, could end post-disclosure that the problems of continuing this activity on the part of the extraterrestrials, even given their nifty technology, may be simply too great in a world in which all peoples have been presented this information and can take measures either collectively or individually to, to prevent this from happening. Uh, I can make a case that there's been a sort of an increase in this stuff in the last few years because they know that. They know that once this thing is self-disclosed by the human race that they're not going to be able to just grab cattle when they want to and, and grab people when they want to. So in a way, this dark stuff, I think the best case for ending it is disclosure. Now, somebody wants to make a case to me, oh, no, 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 no. If we keep it all secret from everybody, oh, yeah, no, no, no. A couple of very clever diplomats working for the State Department will we'll, we'll, we'll cut a deal with them and they'll stop doing it. Whatever. I mean, they can make that case if they want to, but of course they can't because in order to make that case, they have to acknowledge there's an AT presence. There is no AT presence. Yeah. So the whole thing is nonsensical. It's Lewis Carolian, it's Orwellian, it's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, so uh, I don't care what the dark side is. All right. Uh, if there is a dark side, I don't care if there's aliens coming here. I don't think if the Borg are coming here to take us and turn us all into Borg. The way I see it is, we got a much better. Whatever our chances are, they are better if all six billion of us are of the same mind and have the same information about our fate, as opposed to a few middle-aged or even much older males, old paradigm thinking World War II carryovers or Vietnam War carriers operating within the bowels of the government and a few defense contractors who are making bad decisions for the rest of the six billion. Yeah. Uh, I, that, didn't, that didn't add up for me. I don't like the math there. And I think that nobody else would either if they really knew this, the, the facts of the matter. So I, I don't have, I, this, this whole business about secrecy and embargo it serves us best. Nobody's ever made that case to me. They've tried. John Lear tried to make his case. Didn't buy it. Didn't accept it. Art Bell has made his case. Doesn't hold water for me. Uh, well, I just have a different view of the human race. I think we're, we have more abilities. I think we have more capabilities. And certainly we have numbers here. And uh, we can deal with the dark side. But you can't deal with the dark side if, you're, if, if your own government tells you there is no dark side. There's nothing there at all. It's like a doctor who knows you have a tumor. Several, as a matter of fact. And those babies are cooking and they could kill you. But won't tell you. Yeah. Right? Says you're fine. There's nothing there. Now, someone make a case for, oh, that's better. Yeah. 
you're going to be in such a good mood because you think you're healthy that your tumors are just going to disappear, right? You're just a happy-go-lucky person, and so you're so positive the tumors just go away. Maybe. Right? And what would you do with a doctor that you went to several times who knew you had, knew you had the tumors and didn't tell you when you finally find it's too late? So you're going, to have to, you're going to have to suppress a desire to go find that doctor and, and uh, basically put a bullet in his brain. Yeah. That's how you feel about that doctor. Well, we've got the same situation here. We've got six billion people that are being told something isn't what it is. And if it's good, then we need to get on with the good. If it's bad, then we need to deal with the bad. There is no other option. Yeah. And one of the problems in the post-disclosure world is there will be a lot of people that are going to want these people's heads on a stick, on a pike. Uh, and uh, I, will, I will be one who will do my best to dissuade them of that. Yeah. And it's not in anybody's best interest to go looking for heads. But, you know, yeah. you push this thing long enough, and I mean, they, may, they may not be dissuadable. Okay, and um, what about the, this last of the, uh, the, of the um, sort of obstacles or the arguments against disclosure that I hear, and that's uh, the Pandora's, I've, I've dubbed it this, I guess, in the notes, uh, the Pandora's box effect. I'm sure you've heard this argument where you can't release a little bit of information, you're going to have, they're going to want everything. And then, we, well, we don't have answers for some things. This is the government speaking. We don't have answers for some things, so we can't tell them. So, you know, you can't just let a little bit out. So what's your reaction to that argument? Well, there's two boxes here. I need to separate them. Two Pandora's box. Box A, box a has to do with the full, the full load of information regarding the ET reality. And I'm not worried about that. They're, they're going to come out. They're going to say... We're going to acknowledge the presence of extraterrestrials. We're going to acknowledge uh, the fact that we know about it. it was, we, we have dealt with it in the best interest of the nation for national security reasons, and you haven't been told formally for that reason. We're not going to apologize for that. We're going to tell you a lot today. We may even show you some craft, some whatever, but there's a lot we can't tell you because it's still national security, and most people are going to be happy with that. Now, the pressure will mount. I mean, no question. Most people will be happy, but there will be plenty of pressure to get more out. And the government, but the government will, will probably be successful in saying, look, not yet. You know, more will come. Be patient, but not yet. You've, you've got, we've gotten over the major hurdle here. And that's, so overall, I don't, I don't see a big deal there. And I don't think that that's a big issue. Uh, too much of a big issue in terms of the final decision. But there's a second box. And that's a little more problematic. Box B. See, unfortunately, uh, the United States government, republic, and the United States under the Constitution, was given a blank check in the early 50s by the people of the country to defeat the Soviet evil empire, whatever it took. And uh, the people inside government took this mandate to heart. Uh, and we defeated the Soviet Union, and we did whatever it took. We built up what I call a secret empire, a vast complex of intelligence agencies and classified documents and people and programs. We created a black world, a covert world, an off-black world, uh, and we did a lot of bad things. We went over the top often, and you can, it's, it's coming out slowly but surely. Uh, you read a book like uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, you get a taste. 
Erie, the Christic Institute lawsuits, uh, the shadow government. Um, it's a complete indictment of uh, activities for about a 10-year period there. Uh, and, of course, there have been other books, um, books by uh, researchers and journalists getting into CIA drug running a whole bit. And, of course, the Vietnam War and a lot of other stuff. A whole lot of nasty stuff went on between 1947 and today. And one of the concerns of the government is that if we open up the ET box, people are going to notice out of the box and they're going to say, we want that open too. And there things get pretty, pretty ugly. Um, which
statute. So I'm interested in reform that retribution. I'm not interested in hauling every guy that ever flew a plane full of drugs to the CIA as a cutout or a direct employee. Every person that ever tried to assassinate somebody, every person that toppled the government, drag them out, you know, whip them in public. I'm just not interested in that. I, I, I think we need reform and we need them to change. But we we need to open that box, but not but, but to, to, to learn and understand so we can properly reform, not to go on the witch hunt and and uh, get the retribution that so many want. Uh, history is too big for that. The Cold War was too big. Uh, and by and large, because of the Cold War and, and, and because of the, the profoundness of the, the ET thing, those who try to actually take this to the courts and try to get there, they're going to lose 90% of the time or more. In other words, they're, they're, they're always going to make their case for why it was done. The courts are going to agree with them. So, I mean, it's going to be an enormous waste of time and money. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, the stuff that happened in South Africa was awful. I mean, very little that was done by our intelligence uh, employees, direct employees, or cutouts was much worse than what the South Africans did. I mean, they did pretty nasty stuff. And overall, the, the, the Mandela cemented his legacy by understanding that and uh, supporting the, the reconciliation process. We have to do the same thing here. This is not small potatoes. This is huge history. If we can just get through this century without a, without a nuke, if we can finally get these nukes taken care of and not have a nuclear exchange, not have a terrorist uh, nuclear event in the United States, if we can not have a major plague induced by bioweapons, bio if we can just get through that, we're going to be lucky. We, we, we got a lot to worry about. Retribution is not should not be high on the list. Uh, reform should be though. Yeah. Open reform, not in, not secret internal reform. Like, well, we're going to secretly go down there and the world needs to know we're reforming. American people are out number twenty to one. We we, we we can't afford to have a significant portion of the world hating our guts. I like, well, how can I do a gymnasium you know, in a junior high and and there's like a hundred kids in the gym class and ninety four of them hate your guts <laughs> and you're going to play dodgeball? No. I don't want that. We're outnumbered. Yeah. And ultimately, our nukes will not save us. We need to reform, and, and that reform needs to be completely apparent to the rest of the world who lives in fear of what we might do. And so, you know, Russia's the same way. I mean, there's plenty of people who live in fear of what Russia might do. And let me tell you, there's a lot of problems there. They are not in the process of reform right now. And one of the reasons is we're not in the process of reform. I think Putin's attitude is, look, you're going to play it that way. I can play the same game. So he probably feels empowered to, to do his stuff, to do his thing. So we're not helping. So that's how we view the Pandora's box theory. It's not simple. Okay. It's the kind of thing that, you know, two or three professors from Harvard uh, should get out on the stage and discuss in great length. But, of course, they can't because they, they're on, you know, according to Harvard, there is no ET reality. If there was, they'd be teaching. If they believe that, they'd be teaching it. But maybe somebody don't let me come into the hazy pudding club and I'll chat this up with some of those fine Harvard students. <laughs> we can uh, we can look at this, but this is a pretty significant issue. I mean, this is a huge question. Yeah. Is what are we going to do about the secret empire? All right. What are we going to do about that? And what are we going to do about reforming it? Exactly. Um, so, there you go. Okay, and uh, just one more uh, little uh, question here that popped up actually in my head while we were uh, doing the interview here. Uh, during, like you said, the disclosure process kind of evolved and started in uh, the early 90s, and so it's been about, uh, let's say, 15 years roughly. Um, in the midst of all that, we had 9-11. How do you think 9-11, uh, what do you think its effect on ufology and the process was? Do you think it uh, I'd set it back. 
That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. So I think it was deliberately done. Is that? Of course not. No, no, I wasn't asking that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, uh, I, I know that, but I know there are people out there that, that think that. Yeah. Uh, look, there's a lot going on in the world, right? I mean, you can be sitting there in a boardroom somewhere in San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, and put some big plans, and you got all kinds of stuff, and you've got millions of dollars invested, and you've got people there, and you're planning the next major phase of your huge project. Then an earthquake comes, and the building falls down. Well, I guess your project put on hold in it. Um, now, there is a connection, though, between those events and past activities on the part of nations. There's a, there's a connection between former policy in the U.S. and, and those events. So it's, it is tied together in that sense. Yeah. But the fact is, there's always something happening, and, and they always go around to use that excuse. There's always going to be some war somewhere. In fact, I have this, you know, this, this, this way I put it is this. It seems like every time somebody... Uh, get some momentum going for something for 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 an approach or a project that will that will improve our situation on this planet. Uh, more justice, more peace, more of this, more of that, and less violence. Somebody blows something up. Yeah. Or somebody shoots somebody. I mean, it, it's it's it, it, and whether they blow up a building or uh, you know five buildings or sink a ship or assassinate, there's always somebody. So you you're always going to have that excuse. Oh, I get to put this off. We got to deal with that. We got to deal with this guy. Deal. Hell with that. It's ridiculous. Of course, there's always something going on. There's got to be something going on. You either, you're either you're either effectuating good policy or you're not. You're either telling the truth or you're not. And whether buildings are falling or not falling, or whether it's terrorism, it doesn't matter. If, if you if you if you create good policies and start telling the truth, those things which keep interfering with your efforts will in fact take care of themselves. Right? It's not wait until everything's right so we can do right. You do right, and that will make things right. So uh, should the media have backed away from the UFO issue that was that was uh, uh, merging there, particularly the disclosure process because of the May 9th press? Of course not, but they did. But they also backed away of tons of other issues too. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. were everybody was pushed off the stage, you know, and this good versus evil thing got going. The war, on, the war on the improper noun, terrorism with a small t. So uh, we're not alone there. Yeah, uh, and that may happen again. Uh, and the message I would like to get out is you can't allow it to to stop this process from culminating with a, with a disclosure event. You've got to get on with this. Uh, but we'll see. That's a tough message. It's a tough message. I mean, it's so easy to to use whatever's going on in the world as an excuse for not doing the hard stuff. And that's human nature. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what is uh, what's next for you in 2006? Where can uh, people see you speaking? Um, what other kind of stuff you got in the pipeline for people who are listening to the interview and, and want to find out more? Nothing formal, Dan. First of all, my speaking engagements are always uh, listed on the web as well. Paradigm Clock, uh, Paradigm Research Group website, ParadigmClock.com, in the PRG PRG site. There's five sites over this. The PRG site is the site that. You can usually find my, my listing, whether it's a conference or whether it's media, whatever. If conference is on hold, pending funding, um, I have a number of projects where I will be getting underway pretty soon. I've been waiting because the Congress is not in session, uh, and generally people are still in the first of the year thing. Yeah. But within about a week, they're going to start happening. I'll be sending out stuff, and whatever. Uh, so there will be some projects, some things happening, which I'll have some structure to. Uh, I'd be. I expect to speak at some conferences this year. Certainly, I don't know which ones yet. But so okay. people can just uh, check out ParadigmClock.com to find out where. Yeah. Where so you're to the conference section there. Just find it. 
in the conference section there. Oh, okay. And uh, how can they? I get the uh, I get the mailings from you, the email uh, bulletins. How can someone get on the list for the email bulletins? Because that's important. I'm sure you want people who yeah. aren't on the list yet to get on the list. So how do they do that? Well, it's simple. Just email my principal address and say subscribe. And that's the, the address is in the same for 10 years, ParadigmRG at AOL.com. Okay, ParadigmRG at AOL.com. And just say subscribe and they'll, subscribe. Uh, and they'll yeah. start getting these bold Or subscribing to the updates or I want to be on your list or yeah. whatever, but just something to that effect and that's bingo they're in. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me. All right, and I'll get back to people by following you, so that's why I like to do it. Yeah. Um, XPAC certainly is something I need to re-energize. I'm hopefully going to try to do that this year. We'll see. Uh, XPAC, of course, it can also be accessed to the main site, uh, paradigmclock.com. They can go to the PAC site and uh, see what its intentions are. Certainly, we're, we welcome all donations. Yeah, yeah. If people, have, if people have the money, they should, they should throw some bones your way because uh, obviously you need it. And, and, and to help out the cause, right? Yeah, it's, it doesn't take a look. There's a $5,000 limit. And now 5000 for some people is a lot of money. But for a lot of people, it's nothing. Yeah. Uh, now I'm out trying to find a million dollars of major money, and that's fine. But in the meantime, look, if there's 10 or 12 people out there, what are we doing for you in good in your life? We're to pop 5000 each, uh, kind of like the limit contribution, into XPAC. Uh, that 60000 would would quickly get it back in the game. I mean, that would very quickly get X back at least doing some things that it, it hasn't been able to do. It, it would allow it to maybe do some uh, some work that might lead to a larger mail list and some other activities. I mean, it would, it would have an immediate impact. It's not a lot, but it would have a significant impact. And uh, again, uh, it's a question of what people want. I mean, if there's another pack that will help in the truth embargo for ETs, give it there. But there isn't. The only, this X pack is the only one. Nobody else is willing to do this. Um, so, again, there are people I know that have that kind of money, and they have to decide whether that money is well spent in ending this truth embargo and, and letting the world know about the extraterrestrials, because that's what XPAC does. That's all it does, is ending that embargo, one way or another, through any means possible. Uh, same for PRG. PRG is not limited. PRG is a, is a sole proprietorship, not a, not a 501 c so it has a maximum range of motion. Uh, it is not limited in any way by FEC, FEC rules. So somebody can give any amount of money to PRG. Uh, 5,000 or 500,000, doesn't matter. I do have I do have connections as a foundation, so if, if someone has a very large donation and they need tax write-off, it can, it can be worked out. So that can be done legally and properly through foundation. So uh, that is covered. I do not have at this point 5013C set up. I'm thinking about it. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but if I do, I do, and, and that'll be announced. So these are the kinds of ways that money can come into what I'm doing. Um, and every other organization, the same thing. I mean, a lot of them that are out there doing work are already 5013Cs. They can get right off for it. I'm not the only one. And I have links to all, all these other organizations. You find them on the site. Uh, they all need money. They all need support. Uh, so make your call, but do something, right? Because if you don't, I'm telling you, uh, there are major powers in this world, and they are going to do what they do. Take population, for instance. This world is overpopulated. I don't care what anybody says. It's too many people. And it's slated to be 9 billion by 2050, which is going to be awful. Uh, and even if we even if we get new major energy sources that allow us to maybe create food and water at a higher level, there's still too many people here. The planet cannot sustain it. So 
consume, we would truly destroy this environment. We have got to reduce the population. And there's three possibilities. One, we can do it through a global, cooperative effort using all of our institutions and our cleverness without coercion, without being unjust, through incentives and birth control and other programs to, to, to drop the, the population growth below uh, replacement so that we can actually start reducing and cutting back from so We can do that. It's all, always been possible. Or we can let nature do it for us. Nature is a powerful force, and given a stress, like too many people, it will find a way to deal with it. And it won't be pretty, right? Or, and this is the only other option, people not operating cooperatively, not operating in a global fashion, but people operating from the dark recesses of the secret organizations at the highest levels, very small groups of people will do it for us. And that won't be pretty either. Those are the three possibilities. Yeah. And we can continue to go blithely along our way, particularly those of us that live fairly comfortably, and say, you know, overpopulation problem, until one day we run up against it full bore. And we won't like it. We're not going to like what's going to happen or we're going to deal with it. And this is true of that. It's true of the environmental tipping points we're facing, and it's certainly true of the extraterrestrial paradigm change. Either we do it, or it's going to be done for us by people, and it will be for their reasons and their purposes, and we will like it, whatever it is. These are the only choices. So people are going to have to decide whether they're going to get involved, or they're just going to wait and see and hope it all turns out well for them. And for individuals, to individual adults, a lot of them can dismiss it because they just don't care. I can't understand how anybody who has children and likes having children and hopes to have grandchildren could just sit back and say, well, we're just going to let this work out. I'll let a few people take care of it for us, and we're not going to support the activist advocacy to address these issues. I can't, I can't understand how they can do it, but so far that's the case. Yeah. Well, hopefully there will be uh, more people uh, willing to to join in and, and do their part to, uh, if they want the answer to the UFO phenomenon, they're going to have to get off their duff and get active, I think, and, and hopefully more people will, and I think there's a groundswell of people growing, and it's growing every year, so. I hope um, you're right. Steve Bassett, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Like I said in the introduction, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the X-Conference, so, I mean, if it, you know, uh, when it's all said and done, at least you can take credit for that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But thanks, Tim, and I, I do take credit for it, and I'm very pleased that it's inspired you, and I, I know it's inspired some other people. And if we do a third one, all the better. If you do a third one, I'll be there. And I know you will. I'll, I'll be sure to be, be down in Washington. And, and for sure, anyone who's on the East Coast, there's no reason why you shouldn't be attending uh, the X Conference if, if, it, if they have a third one, because it's, it's the perfect location. It's easily accessible for people in New York, Boston, all those, all Philly, Pittsburgh, that whole uh, corridor, it's tremendously accessible. It's not like flying all the way out to California. I mean, I've seen some of these UFO conferences, and, and, and I want to go to them, but I can't afford to fly all the way out to California and take time off from my job and all that. With the X conference, you know, you can, you can do this in a weekend and be home and ready for work on Monday. So there's, there's really no excuse not to attend. So hopefully there will be an X conference 3, and hopefully I can bring you back on. Uh, the show as we get closer to the X Conference 3 and we can do a little preview type thing and uh, hopefully that'll happen and if not hopefully we'll be working together anyway in the future 
But like I said, if it wasn't for the X conference, you know, I'm not sure where I'd be uh, as far as my research and my activism in the field. But I know for a fact that I wouldn't be as far along as I am now. So I owe a debt of gratitude for you to you for inspiring me to do that. And also, I want to thank you for appearing on the show. So thanks a lot, Stephen. You're welcome. That does it for this week's edition of Been All of America Audio. Super huge thanks to Steve Bassett for sitting down and talking to us for so long. Uh, he just had so much to say, and it was just great talking to him for so long, and, and um, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Big thanks, of course, to Leslie, Chiron, and R. Lee of BenAllOfAmerica.com. They are my support structure. They are the folks who help keep BenAllOfAmerica.com and BenAllOfAmerica Audio coming to you every week. Check out their weekly columns, and in turn, check out their websites, and Invest yourself into the insanity that is the banal of America world. Big thanks this week to About.com's Paranormal section for throwing a shout-out to Banal of America Audio. Hopefully some of you are listening via About.com. And if so, welcome. Check out the archive. I hope you like it. We've got tons of stuff. We've been doing this for a while now, and hopefully you'll be coming back for more. Speaking of coming back for more, next week it is a massive interview. It is a big one, folks. you got to sit down. If you're not sitting down, please sit down. Because next week, February 25th, 2006, on Banal of America Audio, the father of modern-day cryptozoology, yes, I'm calling him that. I've coined it for this man, Lauren Coleman. It doesn't get any bigger as far as cryptozoology goes. Lauren Coleman is the man. He will finally arrive on Banal of America Audio next week, February 25th, 2006. I am a lifelong pursuer of the Bigfoot. So, to have a chance to speak with just the number one investigator in cryptozoology, Lauren Coleman, is a huge thrill for me. You're going to hear questions that are crazy. You're going to hear off-the-wall stuff, because I've heard tons of Lauren Coleman and I wanted to take it to the next level. We were just talking about all kinds of stuff. Plus, wait, yes, there's more. In addition to all that, in addition to our discussion on cryptozoology, Lauren and I also discuss his book, The Copycat Effect, all about the unduly influence of the media on popular culture. We're talking about suicides, suicide clusters, shark attacks, kidnappings, Teachers sleeping with their students, all kinds of weird stuff, media fads. We're talking about that. We're talking about the dangerous side of that. We're talking about school shootings. We're talking about how Lauren balances being uh, probably the most recognizable cryptozoologist in the country with also being an expert on this whole affair that is uh, media influence, suicide clusters, and that sort of stuff, copycat crimes. So we talk about what it's like to be a dual researcher, and that's going to be fascinating. If you haven't heard that yet, this is really killer. That's going to be next week on Banal of America Audio, February 25th, 2006. Be there or be square. You're not going to want to miss this one. And if you're a long-time Banal of America Audio fan and listener, please feel free to throw a little change in the bucket. There's a PayPal button at banalofamerica.com. It's also on the audio page. Click it. Throw some money. I don't need a hundred bucks. I don't need two hundred. You know, five, ten bucks here and there from somebody out there always helps keep the ship running. If you don't have it, don't spend it, please. I don't want to take food off your table. But if you got it, throw some change in the bucket. That's all I'm asking. 
Also, please note, at the Ben All of America audio page, we have added additionally friends of BOA Audio. There have been some key websites that have helped us keep this show on the road, helped us develop the audience we have, theanomalous.com and dailygrail.com, chiefly among them, but there's others. Also, this recent about.com mention is great. And you can check out uh, some of the folks who've helped us out along the way at BenAllOfAmerica.com's audio page. So do check that out. And until you hear from me again next week with the big Lauren Coleman episode, this is Tim Benall signing off.